This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On this episode, I welcome back to the podcast my guest, Michael McSheehan. Today, we continue our conversation and get into why implementation science can assist with influencing change in the school setting and the importance of implementing a strategic plan that involves all the correct stakeholders. Um, So uh, to switch gears a a little bit, you and I, we had um, some pre-conversations about recording this and topics to discuss. And one of the things uh, that we discussed is implementation science. Um, So can you share with us what implementation science is Um, how it is used to create change in schools, and why you feel it is important in the sustainability of inclusion. I'm going to geek out again. Here we go. Great. Um, (laughs) I love me some implementation science. (laughs) Um, So basically, implementation science is the study of change. It's a study of change with a focus on how we adopt and integrate really effective practices and policies. And it's it's a field of science um, in healthcare, in education, in community change. Um, it's in public health. It, it's, it's really spreading all over. There is a, a huge um, strain that it's focused solely in the field of education, right? The it, implementation science is a, it's a method of improvement Um, that really focuses on how education changes are carried out, um, right, with attention to all the local variables that come to bear, um, right, within a school or district, all, we know all the dynamics and culture that that builds over time in a school or district, you know, putting that in the context of state and professional um, priorities, Um, in the context of the broader society or culture that we live in, regional influences. Um, So it's a method of improvement that focuses on effective practices and acknowledges the context, their influences, and how to navigate to get things fully implemented, fully used so that children can benefit. Um, There's a lot of educational practices that kind of get partially put in place, (laughs) sort of put in place, um, and others that like get up and running and then the, you know, our principal left, our superintendent changed. And so now we don't do that anymore, right? The practices that just get abandoned. Um, And so what implementation science helps us do is to really look at um, what's gonna work Um, to get to a place where we can get that full implementation and the full benefit from our practice and have it just become that second order deep change. Like this is just how we do it now Mm -hmm. versus this is a special initiative that we're trying out. Like there's a long distance between beginning to try it out and actually having it just be how we do school. Yeah. That's great. It's, um, you know, I, I've heard um, in my conversations uh, doing this podcast, I've heard um, a lot of people say, you know, that like in, inclusive education is not just something 
uh, not a one-time thing. It's not just something that we uh, are trying out, that it's, you know, it, it, it is something that you have to do over time and uh, keep going at it. And like you said, and then it just becomes, you know, it's just, it's what we do. It's what we're doing. And it's not a, um, an initiative, uh, you know, to, to meet something, a goal or something like that. So it's just really, um, just becomes part of the whole environment, the school environment. And, uh, so that's really, really cool. I really, um, I was really interested in that. And so I, I'm glad that you, uh, wanted to talk about that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, one of the big contributing forces in implementation science is this idea of grading and coherence, right? So teachers experience a flood of initiatives flying at them <laughs> Monday through Friday, and they're expected to just like put it all together and make it happen in my class. Um, and what implementation science brings is a set of tools and methods for school and district leaders and community leaders to engage and look carefully at all the different things that are going on and find ways to braid those together and put them into a coherent framework. I'm working with a district not far from my hometown right now, and we just did a little inventory. like. Let me know how many different initiatives are underway right now and what they intend to accomplish and who's working with you on those different initiatives and are they fully you know in place yet. And they came back in their inventory, they had 43 different initiatives across five schools. Wow. That's a lot. That's that's too much. <laughs> right. So how do we how do we braid all those different initiatives together, some of which had really similar aims, right? So you're you're working on competency-based education, multi-tiered system of supports, universal design for learning, competency-based grading and reporting. You have this vision of what's called portrait of a learner. Um, you have all these things that really have some, some common destinations. Can we break them down to their core elements? Put it into a framework that's understandable and usable for teachers on Monday, <laughs> such that they're not always completely overwhelmed and that when they hear of a, a practice, they know where it fits into the broader framework. And that will help leaders also better target and focus resources so that they're not just sending a bunch of people off to various conferences. I mean, I, I love coming to a, you know a, an institute that's focused on these issues. Um, I love, doing trainings and workshops, but those only get you to awareness level. There's still a huge gap between that initiative awareness and being able to do it in your classroom. Um, so if we really care about teachers and all the things that are on administrators' plates, we can draw from some of the tools and practices in implementation science to make things not only more efficient, but more effective. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I could geek out about this all day long. If there's a particular aspect of this you want me to drill down into, I am happy to do so. I, th I think what you said is is all great. And, um, you know, it, it is, it's, it's so important that we, um, you know, that we share this. And like you said, going from the awareness piece of, of going to workshops and conferences and all of that, and yeah, to learn about and educate yourself about it, but to actually put that work to use, put the things that you've learned to use and implement them. Um, 
you know, that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> and can really, uh, you know, really take some, some time to do. And, and, you know, so it's necessary to, uh, to get that awareness and, and education piece, but to put it in action is, is the real important part. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I think, um, I can't remember his name. He's one of the big leaders in the field of implementation science that I'm drawing a blank on his name because I'm horrible with nouns. Um, but his line, it'll come to me, his line is kids do not benefit from interventions that they do not experience. Wow. Right? Like if we don't get the actual instructional practice as it's intended to kids, we can't expect them to benefit from it. Um, and it seems like it's painfully obvious, right? Like my car does not benefit from a car wash. It does not go through, right? Like, like that seems kind of obvious, but we keep thinking we're doing the car wash when we're not really. We're just like spraying the water into the air near the car, but not like actually doing the thing that we intended to do. I wanted to go back because you part of your question, I think, was why is implement why is implementation science so important for the sustainability of our work in inclusive education? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I completely answered you, and I really want to. Yes. <laughs> and that is, it's I started to go there and I didn't I didn't bring it back around. It's this focus on braiding that's important to sustain the work in inclusive education, right? Because if you see kind of inclusion as an initiative as a siloed effort separate from how we're designing curriculum right if we're doing understanding by design and curriculum or universal design for learning and curriculum but we're not talking about the equity issues for kids with significant disabilities then that's not getting infused and it's still one step away like i still do my inclusion work while i'm doing my ubd work while i'm doing my grading and reporting work like that's not helpful teachers need us to look at all the initiatives we have underway and administrators need us to work with them to say, okay, where does consideration for students with significant disabilities being in general education classrooms come into all of these different initiatives, right? So what will quality curriculum design look like when it considers this population of learners? What will screening as part of your MTSS framework, what will screening and progress monitoring need to look like in order to include this population of learners with the most extensive support needs? Um, what will grading and reporting need to look like, right? I see districts who have these report card systems that in no way, shape, or form could be used as is to report on students with complex support needs who take alternate assessments, because alternate assessment doesn't mean you're doing alternate curriculum, right? You're still working off the same standards, but it's not tied back through the reporting system. So the braiding piece of implementation science, I think, could really reduce the, the effort of, of and increase the sustainability of inclusive education because we can be braiding things in as we go. Yes. Told you, you got on this for a long time. <laughs> really, I could do an hour just on that. I love it, though. It's, it's so... Um it's just it's great information to have um because it all it all makes sense like <laughs> it all makes sense and the way that you're explaining it it's really um you know it's in a way that everybody can understand why and how it can make sense so easily and uh just with a little bit of effort from from everybody and it can all be done <laughs> yeah well 
a little bit of effort in a long-term plan. Yes. Like, yes. People think they're going to get this done in a year or two. You know, we need to help manage your expectations. Not going to happen in just a year or two. Going right. to take, going to take five. Yes, and that is a great, uh, that's a great segue into our next question, actually, of strategic planning. <laughs> um, so, yes, yes. <laughs> Can you share with us why it is important to create a strategic plan that engages the correct stakeholders for an inclusive education goal? Wow. I love that you ask such light questions. Yes. That's great. <laughs> um, so take that in two parts. Um, because I was kind of already speaking to the strategic planning part, right? Like you want to create a plan so that you can manage your workload so that you don't have 43 initiatives underway across <laughs> your five schools, um, right? So you want to create a, a strategic plan that says, here's how we're going to bring coherence to all of the work that we're doing. You want to create a strategic plan that maps out and acknowledges that implementation, getting stuff in place, happens in stages of work. And you want your plan to be developmentally responsive to where people are in their implementation effort, right? Early on, people are asking, well, why should we do this? And should we do this? <laughs> and if we do this, what will that involve? What are the roles and responsibilities, right? And then you get into doing it. And when we, when we get to that, that part of it, people are going to want to know, like, what are all the support structures for doing this work? What's the job embedded coaching? What are the meeting structures? What are the data systems? Um, what policies have to change now that we're doing this work? Right. And th then you're moving forward again to say, all right, now, if we want to sustain this and fully integrate this, we've got to make sure it's completely braided with other work. What's our long term funding for the various elements of this work? Right. Like, so a strategic plan helps you communicate thoughtfully and honestly the nature of the work and coherence for that work um, to be doable over time. Um, the latter part of your question, right, that engages the all the, the kind of correct stakeholders, and I would say, well, all the stakeholders are the correct ones. Like, let's get them all in there in some way. Um, and 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 this would be going back to your first question. Some things that have changed um, in in our in the way that we approach the work in terms of engaging stakeholders in this change process around inclusive education. We used to take an approach that was very directed. Hmm. Here's what you have to do. Here's how you do it. We provide the training and the coaching and the job embedded tools and you go do it. And this kind of change is not <laughs> going to happen with a very technical approach, right? Because it's not a technical problem, right? A technical problem is discrete and bound and you can see it and name it and say, oh, I have for teachers who don't know how to do this thing, we can provide training and coaching, right? I have, if it's known and you can see the solutions, it's a technical problem. This idea of fully engaging as equal members, students with significant disabilities in our public schools, that's what we call an adaptive problem. It's messy, 
right? There's all kinds of isms floating around with that one. There's all kinds of challenges to our system floating around with that one. And if you bring in outsiders who are just going to tell you how to do it, it's not going to change. So you've got to in, engage the, the internal stakeholders in your system, your staff, your administrators, your board, community members, families, the students themselves, all need to be engaged so that they own the problem. The kind of tagline phrase is called psychological ownership, where individuals see and recognize that there's a problem that they want to change, that there's a more preferred, more desirable future, and they then generate the solutions for that work. Now, of course, you can go visit some places and see some elements of the work that are that are common that could be helpful locally, but the local group really needs to figure out exactly what it's going to look like in our context if it's going to sustain over time. So, engaging the stakeholders, all of them, with the information that they need. Right, like probably not every family wants to hear the ins and outs of implementation science with the change process. As much as I would love to have coffee with them and tell them all about implementation science. But you do need to have a district leadership team or a district implementation team who is building their capacity with things like implementation science so that they can thoughtfully lead the change process. Um, so different stakeholders may have at different times um, different pieces of communication that they're that are most important for them to know about and act on. Um, but you want them all engaged in the change process so we can kind of manage everybody's expectations um, and get there. I, I like what you said that, you know, they're all the correct stakeholders because it isn't just, um, you know, it isn't just the teachers that are involved in this process. It's like you said, it's the community, it's, you know, it's all the staff and the faculty of, of the schools um, that are involved in, in making these uh, changes. And that's, um, something so important to mention. To conclude our conversation, um, just one last question for you. And um, that is what schools or states would you choose as examples uh, that show great inclusive education and why? Short answer first, none. Um, and it's not that there aren't good people doing good things. Uh, in schools and states across this country, because there are lots of amazing things happening. You can go to websites like swiftschools.org, the Swift Education Center. You can go to tiescenter.org, the time instruction, uh, I can't remember what all their letters, engagement uh, and states supports, system supports, uh, T-I-E-S uh, center.org and the swiftschools.org. And you'll see lots of examples, right? We've, when I was part of the Swift Education Center for what, five, six, seven years, um, right? You'll see videos from schools in Maryland and Oregon and Mississippi, um, all doing great stuff. Um, and I wanna be really careful that there are schools each doing great stuff, but maybe not one school has everything that you would want to know or see around inclusive education. And you can't just look at one school and how they do it and neatly import that to your school. And I was referring to this earlier, right? Like 
you can go to different states and schools and see particular elements that are very strongly in place in different schools. And you can see common threads of staffing arrangements and service delivery models and school-wide schedules and curriculum design approaches um, that, are, that are common across these. And yet they're slightly different in each context. And that's part of what helps them sustain that, that element um, is that it's been tailored to the context. So um, I wouldn't say kind of, you know, in a status report, you can go here to see great inclusion um, because that may not be how it's gonna look like in, in your school, right? All those, all those different elements are definitely integrated, but they're also compensatory. They're playing out in different ways. Um, did I, I, I'm, I'm, I know it's not a popular answer. <laughs> like I've been asked this before, like, can you send us a list of great inclusive schools? And um, in part, I also say none because I've had enough experience now to have worked with some schools that were doing amazing things and people found out they were doing amazing things. And then everybody started to move there and visit there and look there and eventually the system imploded because of all the pressure, um, wow. right? Like you see families who are like, no, I want my kid included. I'm, I'm moving to this town. Well, well, when you do so now it's, now it's a different population, right? They were, hmm. I saw a, a high school get built as an inclusive high school structurally, physically and programmatically. And within a few years, you know, they had trailers of uh, where students and teachers were working in trailers because everybody just moved there. Wow. And, it, you know, it was too much, too much. Um, so I'm really hesitant to do that. Um, yeah. I think you definitely, you definitely answered the question because it's, you know, it's, it's what works in one district might not work in your district. So you can take pieces of something that you see, something that you like that's working, but you also have to tailor it to your, you know, your specific needs at your school and in your district and your students. I but hope yeah. it's helpful. It's yes. not, always, not always the pleasant answer to hear, but I wanna be honest from my perspective. Right, right. And I think um, for me, I, I always, um, I always say like I have spina bifida and uh you know if you meet me you meet you've met one person with spina bifida because the next person you meet might not have to use a wheelchair might not have to use crutches like I do um it it looks different for everybody and I think it can be you know the same can be applied for um at inclusive education it has to be tailored to your community to what your students needs are um and what works over in this town might not you know, translate and work over uh, work too well in, in your town. So um, again, we can all look at different places and see um, things that we like and things that we, you know, want to incorporate and include and implement in our district. But, uh, you know, it has to be tailored and, and structured in a way that works for us. Yep, I agree. Strongly agree. Absolutely. Yes. Common elements, but when they come together, it's going to look a little different over here, right? Think about it as like a mosaic, like yes. this tile is going to be bigger in your town yes. than that tile will be in the other town. Right, 
then going to have a ripple effect out, right? Or think about it as a kaleidoscope, like certain colors are going to come together in your town that are not going to be coming together in that place that you visited. It's just not going to look that obviously repli replicable. Good word. Wow. Two great examples of the mosaic and the <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow, that was, yeah, that, and that's so true. That's so true. It, it will look different in, in every in every place, every person that, that looks at it from their perspective and from their vantage point, it, it looks different. So, wow. But um, Michael, this conversation has been just great. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you and um, having you share your story and uh, your knowledge about uh, the world of inclusion and uh, the changes and the work that you and your team are doing. Uh, you know, to, to make changes in, in the world of inclusive education. So thank you for your time today. And uh, we will be in touch soon. <laughs> thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you so much, Arthur. Oh, you're welcome and have a good day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.